Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Pocket Politics, the official podcast of Voting Smarter. At Voting Smarter, our goal is to be your political companion that will help you navigate an election cycle that is already in full swing. Which candidate aligns most with your views? Take our candidate matchmaker to find out. Do this, along with checking out some upcoming deadlines and much, much more with Voting Smarter. Download our iOS app from the App Store now and follow us on social media. Today on the show, I'll be speaking to Arjun Murthy, the CEO and co-founder of The Factual, a technology company dedicated to helping its users find credible news sources that break through partisan bubbles. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Arjun. Welcome. Thank you very much, Rory. I'm uh, thrilled to be here and excited to have the conversation. Great. Well, I'd like to just dive in straight away. At its core, what is The Factual? What do you guys do? Sure. So at its core, we help people find unbiased news on trending topics in the news. Uh, So for a lot of people right now, they feel like they're overwhelmed by the news and don't know if they're really getting the full story. Uh, They feel like what they're seeing is slanted or somehow selected for them, whether it's by a social media feed or search engine, or even from their friends and family. They're getting very partisan sort of rhetoric. And what we are Uh, using technology to surface is to find the best writing, most credible writing across the political spectrum on trending topics so that you have all the facts, you can draw your own conclusions. Okay, so what specific services do you offer users? Do you just bombard them with everything you find that seems good? (laughs) How do you you organize this? Sure, yeah. So the service that most of our users use is a newsletter that comes out every day. And an email newsletter that has the five uh, topics that are most widely reported in the news and looking at the most credible stories on those from different sources across political spectrum. We typically do, uh, we, and I'll talk about the technology and how we rate stories and how we find them, but uh, find the trending topics, most credible stories, a few of what we call underreported stories, stories that very few people are talking about, but are also really credible. Put that together in a newsletter that digest seems to work really well for people that are overwhelmed by the news because it's like, here's what you need. Read for 10 minutes and you're good to go for the day. We also have a website where it's really where we pull the information for the news that comes from the site. And so the site has all the trending topics uh, and all the news that we can find grouped into topic categories. Um, the net effect is if it's in the news, if it's important, you're going to find it on our site. And we try to, by grouping it by topics, we, don't, uh, we reduce the amount of news you have to cover. It doesn't feel like an endless feed. It's like, mm-hmm. look, we're not just going to keep throwing articles at you more and more so that you keep reading. That's not the point. Uh, we're not an advertising-based business, so we don't really care to monopolize your time. We'd rather give you something that's important. Mm. Yeah, that definitely feels like a valuable thing in the world of 2020, not having your time monopolized. Um, no doom no. scrolling. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no eternal scrolling. Yeah. So... I read your website. Uh, your website says that over you write over 10,000 news articles every day, I believe. Um, That's right. So, you know, how do you, how do you choose, what, what tools do you use to choose which ones to highlight and, and which ones to, to push down to the bottom of the pack, as it were? Yeah. So we have built an algorithm that rates the credibility of news. Um, it looks at every individual article in four dimensions 
that most of us identify with high quality news. So the first is how extensively sourced is an article? Um, links, quotes, where they link to, how credible are those sources? Do they repeat? All kinds of other things like that. Uh, but basically, is it really well-researched? The second bit that we look at is how opinionated is an article? Normally, an article that's highly credible tends to not be very opinionated. It's very factual. It's fairly neutral. It's trying to present a lot of information in context. The third is how much of a topical expert is the author? Have they written on this topic before? Do they write exclusively on this topic? Have previous articles scored on it, et cetera? Uh, and then the last is a site reputation score. So historically, how has this site been rated by our system um, as an aggregate score? And so those four metrics we can apply using our algorithm on thousands of articles uh, instantly, all the time, regularly. We do it across probably a thousand different news sites every day. And then we group the stories by topics. So, we, so you know, USPS, for example, is a big topic right now. So all the USPS stories go into a topic page. We show you all of the information behind it. And then whichever one scored highest, we'll pick those in our system. The score is basically a probability, is a, is a uh, score from 1% to 100%, which is essentially a probability that the article is credible. So how likely is this article to be reliable? And so we pick the top one. We pick another one that's really highly rated from a different point in the political spectrum. So you kind of get contrasting viewpoints. We pick one that's a long read, kind of an in-depth piece, giving you a lot more context. And that trifecta on every topic then is really a great way to get a handle on that story. Right. So, you know, I've looked at a lot of your backgrounds uh, and it got me curious. You have experience in the business world that's pretty extensive. You've worked in consulting, you've worked in tech, marketing and elsewhere. How did you go from that business-centered kind of career to deciding to, you know, jump into the world of politics and all the yeah. implications um, that being a political figure, in a sense, suddenly brings? Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, I mean, we're, we're still just a bunch of techies. Um, and, and maybe, in a sense, it's very obvious because we're quite naive. Uh, you know, in 2016, my co-founder and I, we were sort of wrapping up our previous startups. We'd been there for five, six years, and we were thinking about what to do next. And we talk about the news a lot. And what we found is that increasingly, the conversations we were having about the news were less about the topics, less about the issue, and more about, well, of course, that outlaw would say that. I mean, I don't know if that story is true. Could you, do you really have all the facts? And right. we're sort of arguing more whether we even knew what we were talking about rather than actually about the issue. That felt kind of counterproductive. And so we thought, well, uh, you know, maybe we can apply technology to solve this. It's extraordinarily naive, but I mean, that's what we were thinking back in 2016. And, uh, you know, we had some ideas, we bounced it off some people, they said it was good, and so off we went. Mm -hmm. um, but more to the fact, you know, what we really thought about was this issue about not knowing what information to trust and believe on critical topics that's such an important thing at a personal level, at a family level, at a society, community, country level. Um, and what my co-founder and I, his name's Ajoy, what Ajoy and I thought is, if we're going to do a startup, we need to do something that we can sink 10 years of our life into because it takes a decade to really see any sort of impact. Mm -hmm. And is this a problem that we're really passionate about? Is it something that we could spend that much time working on? And we both felt, yeah. This is exactly something we could be proud of it. Our families would be proud of it. 
frankly, my mom's never known what the heck I've ever done for any job. And maybe mm-hmm. she'll finally know that. Um, and so that was a big part of the, the changing of, in, in gears. Like both of us had done startups and we'd seen to some degree what it takes to be successful. We wanted to apply to a problem that was close to our hearts. Um, for me in particular, I've always been a huge news geek. You know, my first job was a paper boy, mm-hmm. which I realize it makes me sound ancient because I don't know if they have paper boys as much anymore. But um, I really liked it. I fell in love with the news when I was a kid. And I was editor at, uh, at Stanford when I was at the school newspaper there, and I found it to be really rewarding. So news has always been a big thing for me. It's not a passing fancy. And so when I found that it was really unreliable and, and Joy and I were having these issues, that's when we said, okay, let's see if we can use technology to solve this problem. Mm, that's interesting. So since you founded The Factual, suddenly you've gone from feeling like the news is unreliable and not knowing to suddenly having a huge amount of data on your hands. Do you feel like, just in your, in your own assessment, the overall credibility of large news organizations like CNN or Fox News and the New York Times, uh, how do you feel that like, that's changed over the past four years or maybe it stayed the same? Uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, so uh, you know, we have, we've rated now about 10 million articles in the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have some trend data. And what I would say is, I don't know that the outlets themselves are changing that much. Um, most mainstream outlets are kind of middle of the road for our credibility grade. CNN and Fox, for example, kind of rate about the same. Um, just happen to be different biases. Uh, but yeah, actually, from a credibility standpoint, they, they kind of come out the same. Bigger name publications like the Times, Post, Journal, et cetera, they're pretty good. But really the big aha, the big surprise for us was that there were a lot of smaller outlets that are really focused on an individual topic that rate better than the Times and the Post and CNN and, and Box and all these. And if you take a step back at what I said about the actuals algorithm, all of those four dimensions, you know, how well-researched it is, how unopinionated it is, how much of a topical expert you are, the site reputation, all of those are essentially a proxy for expertise. What they're saying is, do you research the heck out of your stuff? Do you write about it all the time? Are you really nuanced about it versus being soundbitey? You know, that's basically expertise. And nothing in there is a popularity signal. There are no likes and hearts and tweets or even backlinks. There's nothing like that. And so what we basically built is a system that says, we value expertise and we don't care about popularity. And so not a surprise that what really ends up surfacing to the top are smaller outlets that really focus on a, on a topic and then can outrank the bigger guys. So, you know, in something like a legal issue, Supreme Court, you know, stuff, mm-hmm. if you read it in the Times or the Poster Journal or CNN or Fox, like, you'll get the headline. You'll kind of get what's going on and then a little bit of commentary. You read a site like Lawfare Blog, for example, and, I mean, it will tear it up. It will give you so much more context. You're like, huh, right. okay, I get it, you know. Or foreign policy, again, you can read it on any site, but you want to dive deep, uh, look at a site like War on the Rocks, former war correspondents. They're phenomenal. I mean, they're really good on military strategy. Or the American conservative, very, very thoughtful about foreign policy matters. Um, Civil liberties, look at The Intercept, Reason, lots of great sites on both sides of the political spectrum, right? Reason's a libertarian their side may be more right-leaning, Intercept is uh, more left-leaning, 
anti-establishment, but both are great at what they do when they talk about civil liberties. And so I think that's really, for us, the big surprise. There's, I often say that this is the golden age of news. And people are like, are you crazy? Mm. Like, this is the worst time of news. And I'm like, actually, no. There's phenomenal writing out there. You just don't know or it's hard to find because there's a lot of junky writing. And that's what the factual is trying to do, is to surface the great writing and, and leave behind the not-so-good using our algorithm. It's a transparent system. Right. Um, of course, there's also a lot of small sites that do not do as uh, reliable a job. That's right. Doing journalism. So, like, overall, you know, if you could, you know, snap your fingers and create a world of your own choosing, like, would you prefer that we maybe went back to a system where there were more large ones, but you could kind of mostly rely on them? Or would you prefer to go to a system where there are more small outlets, but you really don't know about their reliability? Definitely more towards a small, which I think would shock people. But back when we, you know, sometimes people hearken for the olden days, oh, back in the 70s and 80s, wasn't it so much nicer? You just tuned into the nine o'clock news and six o'clock news, it was fine. And the reality is, while those were good, credible outlets, like I don't think they were bad reporters or bad journalists, what you saw was a fairly narrow range of viewpoints. Mm -hmm. The stories are really, you know, know, A is bad and B is good, and therefore what's B doing to A, what's A doing to B? Like it was just so simplistic. And by having a lot more outlets reporting on the news, you realize that stories are complicated and nuance is important and it's, it's not easy. And as a consumer, the onus is on us to extract the information and to reach our own conclusion. It's not supposed to be that the newscaster tells you what to think. You as a consumer, as a citizen, need to have critical thinking skills. And so I'd much rather that we have a lot of news outlets that are giving us uh, different angles and having us uh, reach our own conclusions. But I'm also empathetic to the fact that it's overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. It's exhausting. I mean, where do you even start? And so that's where I think a tool like the Factual helps a lot. Let's make it easy to find the good from the bad in a transparent manner so you can see why the Factual is suggesting something. We don't need another black box algorithm. Tell me why you're seeing this Factual and we'll show you every, every story is great. You can click on it. You can see all those four dimensions and all the detail and stuff. Um, And you are in control. You get to pick what you want to see. You see all the stuff that's being covered. You get a lot of different viewpoints without being overwhelmed. To me, I think that's a much better news environment than what we had in the past and takes the best of what we have today, gets rid of the bad stuff from today. Right. Of course, like, like these days, most people get, or a huge amount of people get their news from, or at least they go to it via social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. Firstly, I want to ask like a two-pronged question. Firstly, how does the factual interact with with uh, social media sites, I know that you guys have uh, done some uh, stuff to just help users interact with those sites. And also, mm-hmm. generally, do you think that the social media sites, the tech industry, or more broadly, how do you think they've done in terms of highlighting credible, factual stories over less factual ones? Obviously, this has been in the news a lot recently. Yeah. So let's take the second one first, because I think that's probably on top of mind for a lot of people. Um, in general, the tech industry has done a lousy job of surfacing credible news. And honestly, some of it's their fault and some is not. 
I think the part that's their fault is, you know, they didn't have to worry about credibility. They just like, ah, it's something that's getting engagement. So much of the tech industry is driven by engagement. You, is it going to keep you reading more? Is it going to get you, you know, clicking more? And so it would tend to gravitate towards the more extreme, the more outrageous, the more opinionated. That's what gets clicks. I mean, if you kind of even go back to a standard newspaper, the editorial pages versus the news, sort of read the news because you need to know, but then you go to the editorials because that's the fun bits, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's really what Facebook and Twitter and all these people have done is they've taken the fun bits and they've blown it way out of proportion. So I do think that there's some fault that they have. But the reason I also say that's not as much their fault is I don't think they set out when they built their companies to think we're going to be about news. You know, Facebook was about sharing pictures and, and updates on family and friends. And Twitter was just all kinds of updates. It wasn't even necessarily news-centric, per se. Uh, certainly, Google didn't set out to be a news aggregator. You know, Google was a search engine. Mm. So in some ways, they, they stumbled into a problem that they didn't set out to solve. And the way their incentives are built, the, the things they goal-seek for, which is engagement, sort of amplify the worst of news at times. Um, I do think since then, you know, since uh, 2016 in particular, a lot of them made uh, big strides towards trying to surface better news or certainly hide the worst news. Um, I think the news feeds on, on the big three or four social networks and search engines is better than 2016. But the way that they ended up solving it was actually not great. They basically just went to sort of the bigger news outlets. They're like, well, if we can't tell, let's just, you know, show more of the mainstream guys. And that, I think, is doing the disservice that I, I mentioned earlier, which is, like, great, you're still not giving people the range of viewpoints on an issue that they need to understand mm -hmm. how complex it is. So I don't think they've done a great job, um, but I also understand that they didn't necessarily set out to solve this problem, so they kind of are in a, in a morass. Um, and I'm sorry, the, the first part of your question, I apologize, I forgot. No, that's okay. Um, so I was just talking to, you know, how news gets spread on Facebook and other sites like it. How does the... Oh, that's right. And, and what do we do in that? Yeah. So in ours, um, what we do is... Oh, sorry. Uh, we, we do a few things. So we have a Chrome browser extension mm -hmm. that you can install, and it'll detect the news articles in your Twitter and Facebook feed and then inject our ratings right in there. So you can see as the news that you're getting in your social media feeds, is it high quality or not? Um, right. And when you click on the grade, it'll show you the details behind it and also show you some suggestions for other stories relating to that uh, one in your feed so that you can quote, break out of your bubble. So it'll say, you know, here's the one that you're seeing, here's other stories that are higher rated on the same topic from this political of a cross-board perspective. Um, right. And so we do that, that's uh, a key integration we do and then in general, of course, a lot of the things that we, you know, are, uh, are great details on any story um, can be shared on social media. So if you go to, we have a microsite called isthiscredible.com, mm -hmm. a nifty little site. You can just paste in any URL and see what the grade is. And so you can then paste that link over on any social media site so people can start to see, you know, how the factual rate stories and, and hopefully help them find right. better views. That's helpful. Um, so just thinking about like how the, the 
social media um, sites have been trying to deal with the news-related consequences of the upcoming election. Recently, mm-hmm. Facebook just announced that it would be banning new political ads in the, I believe it's the week up running up to the general election. How do you yeah. think that will, like, do you think that will work, firstly? And like, how do you think it will affect uh, the factual users? Uh, I don't know that it'll affect the factual users that much because, you know, most of the factual users now get the news from our news feed, whether it's mm-hmm. from our newsletter or from our site. So I think the factual users be as affected by it. As to how effective it'll be for Facebook, um, I don't know. I think it's, I suppose it's better than nothing in some respects. Uh, you know, some countries, uh, I'm originally Canadian and I I think Canada might still have it. In the week leading up to an election, uh, they close down advertising. And just so that you can, you know, as a, as a citizen, you have time to sort of think mm. and come to your conclusion. So it's following in that vein. And I like that from a principal standpoint. But it's not even, the problem is Facebook doesn't even do exactly that. What they said is we ban new advertising in the week before. Because right. we don't have time to, to check the facts behind it. So if you have existing ads before that, you can still run them in a week before. So you don't really get the quiet period uh, idea that uh, I was just talking about. What you're really saying is you're telling all the campaigns, you better get all your ads tested and figured out a week before, um, and then you can continue to run those. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's better because, you know, there's not like a bombshell bad ad the day before the election that's just factually incorrect and it's proliferating on Facebook. So that's good. But I do think they could have done more. Yeah. So I'm just moving on to, you know, the future of the factual. In your ideal world where everyone in America, all the way from President Trump down to you or I, you know, decides to download the factual tomorrow, how do you think (laughs) that would change how people, just how news coverage impacts American politics? I mean, if if we were to get uh, that, I think two things would happen. First, um, news organizations would see that there is a real hunger for credibility and quality mm. in a way that's easy for humans to assess, even without an algorithm, which is don't be overly opinionated and biased, share all the context, give people history, have beat reporters really focus on a topic. They'll start to realize that the things that the factual rates are what are valued by consumers, and therefore we as news organizations should try to go more in that line. Mm. Uh, I think that's one thing that will happen. I think at a consumer level, hopefully a lot of people will be more empathetic to viewpoints that they disagree with. You know, you can still be really set in your ways about an issue and let's pick something like guns. You could be a hardcore Second Amendment person, believe that it's a right that we should all have. You could be very committed to the idea of, no, it makes society dangerous and, and needs a ton more regulation. But when you read the stories in the factual on a story that has to do with guns and gun control or gun violence, you understand that it's complicated. There's a lot of nuances to it. And if someone disagrees with your viewpoint, it's not because they hate you or they're opposed to you or you have nothing in common with them. You probably have a lot in common with them. But on this issue, maybe you have just different frames of references based on where you grew up and, and, and what you seek from the world. That's okay. You can still be friends. You can still vote differently in an election and, and still have a conversation and have a beer or a coffee. Um, 
that's, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm hopelessly optimistic, but that's what I, I hope for. I think there's a lot more that we have in common in this country than we have uh, differences. And if we read better news, maybe we can start to appreciate that. Yeah, I think especially that will be helpful just in terms of breaking out of people's bubbles. I personally think that political ideas have just become way too much ingrained with people's ideas of who they are, which I, I don't know if you, if you can like speak to that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was talking to the authors of this book called Union, uh, a Democrat and a Republican and Search for Common Ground. It's uh, these two gentlemen, um, college grads, take a 20,000 mile road trip across the United States and look at all these, um, you know, meet all these interesting people and try to find out like, you know, what's the core fabric of this country. And what they, one of the conclusions they reach, which goes to your question is, we talk about politics too much. Mm. Like it's just, it's become everything and it doesn't need to be. It's just a part of life. It's not all of life, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I, I do think we talk about it too much. I, I hope we can back off it a little bit, but whether or not we do, what I really hope we get out of uh, using the factual is it's okay to disagree. It's okay to not uh, to see different viewpoints on the story. It doesn't make the other person bad. It just makes them have a different viewpoint. Find mm -hmm. something else to talk about. Of course. So um, at the moment, obviously, you know, not everyone in the United States uses the factual, sadly, mm -hmm. alas. <laughs> um, can we dive into like, who, use, who do you think uses the factual the most? Uh, do you guys have a read on like what age demographics or locations uh, the folks using your site are in? We do have some data, but we consciously don't collect a ton of data. Right. Uh, you know, one of the things that we know, people are a little frustrated with being tracked everything online and uh, being fed a uh, certain feed. So because we're not an advertising business, where there's no ads in any of our products, we don't really care to know that much about you. <laughs> um, we do recruit some users through Facebook. So using that, we know that, you know, we're surprisingly kind of, 50-50 liberal and conservative uh, users. Right. I thought it was one way, but it, it wasn't. Um, it's both urban and rural, so that hasn't been a huge split. We have users in all 50 states and now about 50 countries. So um, geographically, we're all over the place, but definitely a heavy U.S. concentration. Um, from an age standpoint, I think we probably are a little heavier from 30 to 50. Um, but again, we have demographics as young as high schoolers using us. In fact, uh, we recruited a, a high school intern because he was just so impressed by our work. And we thought, wait, we never even looked to pitch this to high schoolers. How'd you find out? And, and we unraveled the whole story. They were following us on Instagram. And it turns out a lot of younger people are following us on Instagram and like getting the news there from us. Mm. So I think there's a wide range of people that hunger for news um, and hunger for good quality information that's helpful and, and teaches them something. So the wide, wide open base right now probably skew a little bit heavier, 30 to 50 from a mm. new standpoint. So do you have any plans to expand? Because obviously like everyone with a distant uncle on Facebook knows that a lot of people need help finding uh, more reliable <laughs> news. How do you plan to uh, access, especially, um, especially, frankly speaking, the older generation, the above 50 demographic, 
uh, it seems like you're starting to have success with the, the under 30 demographic, which is impressive. How do you plan to reach out and just like, you know, make sure that everyone is, uh, is able to access what you guys are able to do? I, you know, I think um, the best sort of conviction that people can have about the factual is to read a story that's highly rated by the factual mm. um, or to read a topic that's um, well curated by the factual and then say, wow, is this markedly better than what I would get in my social feed or from my friends and family? And if it is, then read on more. So, you know, for us, I think the, the most important thing that we have not done a good job of yet is making it easy to share news you found on the factual mm. um, in a way that helps people to come back to the factual and then see other stuff, find out how this whole system works. We haven't done a good job of that. So I think that's really a key part. And if you can really enable sharing then I think you have a means to reach a much wider segment of people because you know, so many of us still share news with our friends and family, especially WhatsApp groups or things like that. So boy, if we could make it easier to share on that in a way that helps people sort of understand where this came from and why it's rated highly, then I think we have a chance to reach a lot of demographics. That's interesting. So it seems like you guys have a lot going on. Uh, do you want to just like throw in one last little plug? How do we find the fact <laughs> to go there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, very simple. Go to thefactual.com and sign up for the newsletter. It's the single best thing you can do. And after that, all the other tools and resources we have will flow through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you, Arjun. Uh, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you very much for having me, Rory. It was a really good time. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks.